0: Raw, uncut, and unapologetic. Welcome to Men Talking Mindfulness. Hey, we are so excited to have you with us for this episode. This episode is with Marcus Aurelius Anderson, who transformed a life-threatening paralysis into a source of strength. Discover how to embrace adversity as a pivotal point in your mindfulness journey, turning your toughest challenges into your greatest assets. Marcus's story is a powerful reminder that that darkest moment can lead to the most illuminating insight. Don't miss this compact dose of inspiration for anyone facing obstacles. Also, this episode is sponsored by longtime listener and fan Minihaha Medical Device Marketing. If you need medical device marketing help to accelerate sales, contact Brian Go to minihahaconsulting.com That's M-I-N-N-E-H-A-H-A-Consulting.com. Thank you, Brian, for your support. If you haven't tuned into our show before, this is how we kick it off. We have an opening practice at the beginning to get us grounded, to get you guys as our audience grounded and to uh, really just kind of set the tone for the show. And then we wrap up the show with the same kind of a, a closing practice. So my, I, I will lead this opening practice, go ahead and get into a comfortable and safe position, whatever that may look like and feel for you. And yes. let's do exactly what we discussed that our new year's or rather new month resolution is focusing on the breath, doing five very intentional breaths counting in and out for five. So go ahead and begin by exhaling all your breath. Empty, empty, empty deep breath in for five, four, three, two, one and out four, four, three, two, one in for five, four, three, Two, one, and out for five. Four, three, two, one. In for five. Four, three, two, one, and out for five. Four, three, two, one. Two more, in for five. Four, three, two, one. Out for five four, three, two, one. Last one together in for five, four, three, two, one, and out for five. Four, three, two, one. And now go ahead, bring some micro movements back into the body, maybe moving your arms around, your shoulders, wiggling your fingers, toes, neck actually the new month resolution is more than that it's not just five breath it's five minutes of that just a quick yeah. uh correction yeah. on my 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 part all right now let's get into this show again marcus so honored to have you here uh i'll turn it over will to ask the first question and then we're just going to uh, pepper you uh, with questions throughout yeah. brother yeah, yeah. So i don't know you
1: know do. where, i don't know where to start <laughs> um there's so i mean your, your 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 book marcus thank you i mean it's uh you know i was posting today on linkedin and you know, I've read dozens of, of, you know, self personal development books over, over the last like 20 some years. And this, your book, it just really helped me to just understand, like I said earlier, some weaknesses in my game and, and, and it's just written so beautifully and so inspiring. And and I could see, you know, so much of the work that you had put into this book and, but also from your own, you know, from just from studying so many different people. And then putting it into into practice as well as as writing this book and so thank you for so much for for putting this book out there and and anybody that's listening it's like i really think this should be on everyone's shelf like it it really just brings home so much of the things that uh might have been kind of loose ends in in what i'm uh and where i was um I don't know where to start, John. Why don't you ask the first question? Yeah, I'll sure. Put it on link. Listen uh, to that. Yeah, yeah.
0: You're, you're kind of uh, all struck or starstruck here. Yeah,
1: so. I mean it's kind of in some <laughs> way. You know, I don't know, it's like weird. I mean, it's like, what the fuck? I know. <laughs> I love you, brother. I love you. Um, right, real, well, real quick,
2: real quick. Uh, well. Yeah. You yeah.
1: listened to the Audible and you read the book or what was I, re- I listened to the Audible um, and actually ordered the book. It's coming in tomorrow and I'm gonna order a few more copies because I have some birthdays, you know, that I, awesome. I have like some students that I work with one on one. And I definitely want to yeah. get it in the hands of, of of my students. And I definitely have a nephew that's a 22 year old Marine right now. I definitely want to get it into oh, his hands yeah. as well. I mean, so and I I personally want the book because there's some really great exercises in there, great questions in there, and I, I take time every day to, you know, to journal and, and to you know, just kind of tap in the inside. A great way to start my day or, or one thing, one thing that I have found uh, to start my day and to be able to, you know, write out these questions and or write with these questions and help them, you know, wake up more of that, um, you know, the inspiration that's within them is, is going to just be, I know a huge help. And that's why I'm also just going to get like a physical copy, but also just be listening to it because, you know, I traveled around the city and subways and stuff and I just like having. Um, some really great information sometimes that I can just, you know, tap into and that's what exactly what your book has done. So thanks for all that for sure. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, yeah, the first question, you know, a a lot of the time when we face adversity, we personally feel that we, we have it worse than anyone else, Uh, anyone else in this time, anyone else in history Um, and that, particular stress we were experiencing. Again, we feel that it's the, the, the hardest thing we personally will ever endure. Um, in the book, you state the toughest parts of our lives are not the hardships that we are enduring right now. The hardest part of our lives is when we are no longer able to do these things, when we no longer possess the ability to do these difficulties. Now, with that in mind, how would you define adversity? And then how would you further take it into how we can use it for personal development.
2: Absolutely. Those are great questions. Um, if anybody's a fan of books, there's this gentleman named Stephen. Steven reading who, that right now. Yeah. So there it is. I had the honor of having him on my show. Nice. Uh, um, his book to me was transformational because I read it even before I was in the military mm. and he talks about this entity that he calls resistance. He has a capital R in it, and you've read the book, so you understand where I'm going. But he said that resistance is anything that is stopping you from improvement, from mm-hmm. attaining excellence, even from beginning those things. So procrastination, lack of motivation, lack of discipline, these are all within that. And this man has written, he, he was an abject failure, he called himself, for 27 years before his first book was published in his 50s. The Mm -hmm. Legend of Bagger Vance. Mm -hmm. So one, his story informs us that as long as you don't stop, you will always be better. You can always perfect your craft. You can always have a better voice in what you're doing. To me, lying in that bed, I I ruptured a disc on my neck. I was paralyzed from the neck down. And I went through the five stages. I went through denial first because Mm -hmm. we're in the military and we're invincible and we're warriors and I can you know, they, they I flatlined on the table twice. So when oh. the surgeon says you overcame death, so in my mind, there's that arrogance. I'm like, well, I can just walk this off if I overcame this whole death thing. <laughs> but it was, it was much more real than that. The second part is anger. Third part is bargaining. Fourth part is genuine depression. And then the fifth part is acceptance. And we all go through it. It's, these are the, the stages of acceptance when it comes to any kind of difficulty. Um, having said that, I knew lying in that bed that what I was facing was much more than just resistance. Mm. It was this physical enemy. It was an adversary and the physical manifestation of an adversary is adversity in my opinion, Mm. because this was something that was trying to take my life. But more importantly, it was trying to take my will, my desire to live, Mm -hmm. my dreams, my ambitions, my intentions, my thoughts, my soul,
1: everything everything yeah. that I
2: thought was important was ripped yeah. away. Yeah. So when you're put in that place and you have no other choice, you start to figure out quickly what is important and what is not. So for me, adversity is anything that physically threatens us, forcing us to level up, forcing us to get stronger. So for some people, it is financial ruin in 2020. For yeah. some people, it's a cancer diagnosis. For some people, it's the death of a, of a loved one. It's a car accident. Physical injury very quickly shows us the importance of our health. Uh, as I alluded to in what you read, there, John, it's very easy. They say that you don't know what you got till it's gone, but that's not true. You know exactly what you have. Mm. You just assume that you will always have it,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that is not the case. Safety is illusion. We've we've seen in the last few years that things can turn on a dime. Right. So Fair. understanding that and having this omnipresence of adversity being around us, it shouldn't scare us, but it should very much keep us very realistic in everything that we do. And Fair. that gives us a sense of urgency, but more importantly, a sense of prioritizing the right things. I, I mentioned in the book, if everything is a priority, then nothing is a priority. Right. Mm-hmm. And frankly, in today's, today's life, we get really good at bullshit that does not serve us, that is not even worthy of that attention. Mm. So why are we wasting time, energy, intensity on these things if they're not worthy of that sort of investment?
0: Yeah, and, and Will, if, if you would, I'm just going to jump in with the next no, question. Yeah. That, that's, that's further down in our kind of line of questioning. Um, you know, we're, we're here to talk about adversity, but in your book, in addition to adversity, you talk about distractions. Oh, and you have yeah. a line in there, uh, and, and I love this line, time is finite, but distraction is infinite. And Mm -hmm. you talk about two examples of distraction, and this is just two of many, obviously, but Netflix and social media, uh, those are two examples. And with those distractions, Mm -hmm. you mention the formula for purpose. I love this. The the formula for purpose is priorities minus distractions equals purpose. So with that purpose formula in mind, um, why do we still have these distractions? Why do we still use them Um, why should we use them less? And then how do we get out of the habit of using them so much?
2: Yeah, we, as human beings, we want the easy path. That's the way we've been designed because our ancestors for thousands of years have found that if we can take the easy path, find the calorically dense food, find the really compelling, titillating thing to keep us occupied. We get the most bang for our buck that way because we are efficient. But that's not the way that we should be doing things in society right now as we live we have the most technology the most information the most comfort that we've ever had mm-hmm. so technically we should be going through um almost like a, a cultural revolution again um mm-hmm. a philosophical evolution a spiritual yeah. like elevation. a
1: renaissance yeah a renaissance for sure a true a true renaissance and yet right.
2: we are going down these slippery slopes these paths mm-hmm. our TikTok facebook yeah. whatever it is it's and john you and i talked about this how that it used to be an insult to say that somebody has the attention span of a goldfish which is eight seconds today's society seven seconds is the norm It's crazy so crazy. if you're trying to be better at anything if you even read a physical book and you can focus enough and have mindfulness in that moment Mm -hmm. This gives you a huge tactical advantage against anybody in any environment and any arena in which you enter from here on out, whether you're a young person that's in high school, not sure if you want to go to college, or if you're a 50-year-old who quit their job or was downsized or whatever, and now you are forced to really re-examine. These are the things that give us that opportunity. The other thing is many people are in adversity right now, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: but they don't feel it. They're under that illusion that they will always have these things that they have. And the adversity that they are in right now is called mediocrity. Mm. It has no taste. It has no smell. It's like a fish in water. You cannot even see it, but yet it is everywhere. It is omnipresent and is inescapable. And when they're stuck in that rut, human beings, we have this, this misguided notion that preference is what we continually choose but it's actually what is continually around us. So we've talked about this idea that you were the average of the five people around you, right? right? That's not exactly true. You were the average of the five emotions most evoked from the people around you. There you go. Yeah. So if they are motivated, they're inspired, they're pushing if they are trying to do great things and help as many people as they can in a very morally and ethical way. So shall you be. But if you're on people that are glorified victims There you go. People who are disempowering themselves, people who are giving up their power, giving it away, don't want the responsibility. So too shall you be. And if that's the case, you cannot be upset about anything that happens to you. In this life, you either choose what you want or somebody else's choose you for you. Yeah. And that's never going to be the best choice for
1: you if you're really honest. Why is You know, so we kind of alluded to why mediocrity is just so, well, why is it so damaging? Like, because, you know, it, it, uh, you know, I feel kind of the when I kind of drop into mediocrity or when I've lived mediocrity, it just has like a, it just really sucks the life out of me. It just, it just really just starts to darken my soul, um, if you will. So, you know, why is it so damaging? And also like, why is it also so contagious? Like, just to come back to what you're saying about like the five friends, it's like we had um, someone on the show a while ago and goes, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And, uh, I like that you kind of add the emotional layer on top because it's like, you know, if you're around a bunch of depressed victims, like people that are always complaining and, and wishing that, you know, and waiting for someone, like we said in the beginning to save them, you know, then, then what are those conversations going to be like? What, what are like interactions going to be like? What are the things you're going to be continually doing? Um, So like, can you just go a little deeper into like why mediocrity is so damaging and what is it damaging? And then, you know, kind of get into why I guess it's so contagious would be helpful, please.
2: And as you were mentioning in the book, I I say that misery loves company, but not as much as mediocrity. Yeah. 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 So that's where that contagion comes in. Mm -hmm. You can, we've all experienced it. You've been in a room, you've had a great day and then somebody walks in and it just kind of sucks all the energy out. These yep. are the people that try to one up you when it comes to adversity mm. and you say, Hey, you know, I, you know, it's horrible traffic. There was an accident on the way in, you know, the weather's bad. It was really cold. And they're like, well, let me tell you about my day. And they can't wait. To, <laughs> exactly. They, they cannot wait to tell you how bad it is. How about the relationship, how yep. bad yep. the cholesterol is, how much all these things are. <laughs> and those are the people that have identified themselves and they painted themselves into a corner physically, mentally, and intellectually as a victim, Mm -hmm. right? So the five people that are around them, the emotions that are continually bombarding them are continually reinforcing this notion that they have no power, that they are a victim, that things happen to them, not for them, all these things. Mm -hmm. And even if they do have a great day, even if something great does happen to them and they try to pull out of that, they're going to have these other five people and emotions like banging them back down. It's like, Hey, um, Optimist guy, can you keep it down over there? So is it really that good, right? Oh, most be yeah. nice, like those sort of things, right?
1: And yeah, for real.
2: I'm not trying to to throw anybody under the bus, but I'm just trying to be very honest about what that is because we've all experienced it, whether especially in leadership capacities, especially in the military, right? Mm-hmm. Monday morning PT is not always the most enthusiastic thing irrespective yeah. of what tier you're in or <laughs> what, what branch of the military it is. Um, and the reason why mediocrity is so damaging is because it's invisible. We can't even feel it. Mm -hmm. and it just slowly chips away at us in the military we have the idea that ounces equal pounds Mm -hmm. so if i can clip a little bit of aluminum off this mre and i get rid of the box i'm lighter Mm -hmm. if it gives me a chance to carry 30 more rounds when i get rid of another pound of stuff that i don't really need that's the better option Mm -hmm. that mediocrity penetrates everything it saturates us and once it's gone through that it goes into our beyond our mentality It goes into our physicality goes into our preferences of food again our activities the conversations that we have a lot of times we have this bad habit of having shallow bullshit conversations at work mm. because we're just trying to pass the time but then right. that bleeds bleeds over into social time the people yeah. that we socialize with if i have a conversation with my wife or with my 20 year old stepdaughter I want to make the most of it. I'm not going to here or say, so how about that weather? How was your day? Right. There's a lot more that we can get from those things. And that's why I always try to ask questions because those questions, they give us, once we untether them, there's so many things that can go from there. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of journaling is when we meditate, we're trying to be present right. in the now. When we're thinking about the future, we're thinking out there. But in between those places, there is a big gap. With journaling, it helps us bring stuff from the past that we've been chewing on mentally. And then, as you were saying, as we're writing, things just sort of come out almost like it's being channeled from somewhere else. And it's like, wow, I want to do this. Wow, I really should apply this. And these are the things that have been bouncing around in our mind for a long, 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 long time that we haven't had the courage to face or the audacity to speak. But in writing, we can do both without uttering a word. And that's the power of it. The mediocrity, if, if you're not careful, it will not just affect you, it'll affect your wife, yep, everyone. your coworkers, mm. your leaders, right? The things that we do as leaders are not taught, they are caught. They mm. catch us doing things. Mm. If they mm. catch me doing the right thing, great. But if the one time that I'm asking these people to give everything and they see me with my feet kicked up, even if I'm sick, even if I haven't been feeling very well, in their mind, they will always remember that. That will be the standard for them. And as a leader, if I'm trying to get to 100%, it's hard for them to give that much. That's not their job. It's my job to inspire them to do that. Yeah. Having said that, if their 100% is now about 75%, and then they see me slacken, it's about 50%. And then when I say, hey, right. why are you not performing? Why are you not hitting the standard? Why are you not applying these ethos? And they say, well, you were sitting on your ass earlier. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why mediocrity is so powerful, and we have to be careful. It seeps out from everyone. Yeah. And even at the end result to your client, to your product, to your service, your customer cannot put their finger on it, but they can absolutely palpate when there's greatness, when there's attention to detail, when there is this intention. Yeah. When there's not.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's why it's
0: and, powerful. You know, and this show. We're absolutely great. We're we're greatness right here. <laughs> 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 we, I agree. I wouldn't be here if I if know, wasn't. No, I mean, Thanks. <laughs> all, all kidding <laughs> aside, uh, you know, again, the the book has inspired me. I, I, I personally, I mean, in complete transparency for for you, Marcus, and for our, our audience, I've been kind of in a slump um, for for certain things uh, in my life, and I have been working to get out of that slump, out of that rut, out of that mediocrity, because it did, it snuck up on me. Right. And I didn't even see it until I kind of took a look in the mirror. I was like, yeah. Hey, this is, I'm not, I'm not who I want to be right now. Yes. And, uh, you talk about in the book, um, how, you know, motivational speakers, motivational videos, they're great for, you know, a short period of time, but the, the motivation is in us and we have to find that motivation, uh, for, for myself, when I was struggling with mediocrity for um, you know our audience who may or may not be in their own rut of some sort, how do they get out of that state of mediocrity? Where, where do they start?
2: There are many places, um, but I'll address that first part. Um, they, As coaches and leaders, we hear people say things like, oh, I'm, I'm dragging this person to excellence. They're kicking and screaming against me. Um, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, but that's not your job. My job is not to bring the horse to water. My job is to remind the horse that it is thirsty mm. and then to oh. allow it to run in the direction that I'm pointing so that it can do it on its own volition. So that's what we have to do. For so many people, there are two different paths when it comes to getting out of mediocrity, but before anything else happens, we have to acknowledge and be self-aware enough to know that that's what it is, and many times it takes adversity. Many times yeah. it takes looking in the mirror. Many times it takes that picture and you're like, I don't look like that. Actually, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> or um, a breakup, loss of something, again, financial ruin, any of these things. So adversity forces us to strip away all the BS that we've allowed to accumulate and to look very clearly at what's really going on. But for many of us, even that alone is, is terrifying. So we try to go mm-hmm. avoid, We avoid it. And when we avoid adversity, we actually build it up more right so yeah. this is the reality the longer the wait, the greater the weight there you go yeah the longer we wait to face that adversity the greater of the weight of the adversity once yeah. we face it and it's not going to get better on its own it's only going to grow it never gets better overnight it always works worse yeah. against us so the way to do it is two different ways you can attack it with a whole lot of things and multiple multi-pronged approach. So like 75 hard, be in the military, you're thrown into these, these places. It's like, guess what? You don't have any other choice. <laughs> and when there's no other choice, the choice is simple, you know, either you wash out or you get injured or you get kicked out. And for us that are the join, like that was never an option. We just kept pushing and that was a goal, but is that sustainable long-term? No. So for some people, They need that initially to kick themselves in the ass to get going but for other people if they've tried things or if it feels overwhelming or new year's resolutions right those are so dangerous because eventually there will be enough years of that happening when there's not enough commitment and follow through to where now that's the last time that person's going to try yeah make peace with who they are and then they build nobility around that. And they justify it and say, I'm big boned or say that I'm this or said, I'm that mm-hmm. or I used to be like this or I used to be like you. You can be whatever you want to be. As long as you are consistent in whatever it is you're choosing over and over again. And adversity will ask you every day, do you still want to do this? Yeah. I remember that in the
0: book. That's, it, it's, it's going to always ask you that and you've got to answer that every day. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. When you talk about a giant yeah. elephant, huge elephant tethered to like a little string, and a little pole that he can, like this massive, like elephants are so big, so beautiful, so strong, so majestic that he can just like pull up and walk away whenever he wants. But in the book you describe like, because it's such a young age, they, uh, and he's so small and doesn't have the strength yet to, um, to, to break away, break free. He just gives up and, you know, and then real, and then even years later, I mean, elephants live to like 80, you know, and they're, they're massive and huge and so strong. And then their whole life, they're just tethered to that little string, and they keep, you know, do, you know, just they don't, they don't even realize their potential. And also, just like mediocrity, like you talk about, like the weight of it, just like it, you are, you start to find other, you know, more of that mediocrity around you. So, so like again, you just like you said, with like the medi- you know, mediocrity loves company, and um, uh, it, it just, it's, it's so powerful, uh, mediocrity. And I think it's like it comes down to so much of you know, either you're part of the the herd, right? Or you're leading the pack. And there's a lot of people that are just still like, just like sheeps and just following what they're doing or what they're supposed to do or with the expectations and of their life. And, and, um, and it's really hard to break free. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, like the adversity, it's like, it really comes from the physical. And, And what I suggest is if maybe taking that step, like going out for a walk, like what can you do physically in order to kind of shake yourself out of this mediocrity and challenge yourself as well. Because if you challenge yourself, you have an opportunity to change. You get to know yourself in a different way. And that could be definitely a way to step out of that mediocrity and start to understand, or just even tap a little bit like that potential that rests deep inside of all of us. And once you begin to tap that potential, the light might go on enough that maybe you show up the next day a little bit differently. Um, And that's, and that's that other side of the coin.
2: I was saying there was the the deep dive, you jumping into the, the deep end of the pool. The other side is what you're mentioning, which very much yep. makes sense, right? We can't build self-belief without some sort of like, we need evidence. We need to believe it. Yeah. And for some yep. people, it's these little bitty small wins, right? Just getting up and going for a walk just five minutes, just get outside, yep. just get a little bit of sunlight, just breathe. Don't have any headphones in. just be present, have no input and in. just be aware of what's going on just five minutes, and then come back. Right. And if you can do that five times, then what happens, right? you are like, I'm already out of here. It's kind of yeah. a nice day. Hmm. All of a yeah. sudden it turns into 15 minutes, and now all of a sudden it turns into all this different regulation. And every one of our hormonal cascades is attached to that physicality, to what, the vitamin D, to the, to the sun, right? right? So all these things are so imperative if we're aware of them. Mm-hmm. And once that happens, now we have this little bit of evidence. It's like, you know what? I did put this amount of effort in what if I put this amount of effort in? Could I really do that? Yeah. And so that consistency is key. We, we have this illusion, especially with social media, that everybody, if you listen to everybody, they're working 24-7. They are grind, <laughs> grind, grind. They're hashtag team no sleep. I don't need that.
1: <laughs> yes. they'll, they'll
2: be yeah. in that place, right? And they love right. that hustle porn is what I've heard it referred to as. Yeah, But trying to glorify that, all that does is lionize the fact that they are scared to death because if you're working 24-7, you're not doing the right things. All right. If you're working the way that you're supposed to, you're not going to have that much time. Against Stephen Pressfield, four hours is the sweet spot max for him when I interviewed Robert Greene with the, road, the 48 Laws of Power, the same thing. He's like, four hours is as much as I can do, and I am like mentally spent is what he says when he's done that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, th- and these are guys that have done it for years. All right. Robert Greene has done Zazen for 45 minutes a day for 13 years straight. Wow. So they have the mental capacity. They know how to handle the voted voltage. But even those people understand there's a point of dimension returns. Right. And here's where it's hard. Because if we listen to our mind, if we listen to adversity, it will tell us that we've hit a point where we're hitting dimension returns. But for most of us, we've never even touched it. There's not even a breath of it. We have no idea what it is because we've never been pushed hard enough. And this is why it's important to have this mentality about adversity affixed well before you need it. Because if you wait until the moment of battle to question yourself in the way that we're doing right now, it's too late. If you're one and step what? behind the battle, you're behind two or three, actually.
1: Yeah,
0: 100%. I'm so glad that you hit on the the grind, 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 hustle porn, right? Oh, yeah. that, that's yeah. uh, that's out there. I mean, there's there's some there's some people who need a kick in the butt and they need to maybe work harder than they are. But there are a lot of people who are already grinding themselves down into the, into the dirt. And then they see those videos and then they're like, I'm not working hard enough. And then they grind themselves into that point of diminishing and even negative returns. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, for our audience who's listening and maybe not watching, the book that Marcus and Will both held up at the beginning of this is The War of Art. Not The Art of War, but The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. There's a lot of greatness in that book. Um, and Same. Marcus unpacks a lot of that in, in his book, uh, The Gift of Adversity. Um, but and, and again, glad that you talked about the, the grind porn, the, the flip side of that or the, the hustle porn, the flip side of that, where people are maybe being too lazy. Uh, you say, let me see where, where I've got this um, in, in the book, you state something to the effect of the easy button. Uh, you know, the kind of the get rich quick schemes, the diet pills that you, so you don't have to do the work. Mm-hmm. These easy buttons are not purchased by people, but they're actually purchased by laziness of people. Now, can you discuss how important it is to not seek out that easy button, but actually seek out the harder thing to do?
2: No. And we can talk about we can talk about it from emotions, but I'll talk talk to it from like a very real standpoint. As a human being, ask yourself, do I respect something that I achieve easily? No. Ever. I never have. As human beings, we do not respect what we do not have to earn or pay for in some capacity, whether that be money, blood, sweat, tears, time, commitment, consistency, that's what the value comes from. That's what makes it happen. So if somebody, and again, there are tactics, there are ways that we can do things, I understand. But everybody right now, the reason I called the the podcast Octa Non Verba, it's Latin for actions, not words, is because right now everybody knows, everybody's a member of this group, that group, blah, 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 they have all these steps and they want to learn more and more and more and more because in that learning, it allows them the the chance to procrastinate. (laughs)
0: That's
2: their adversity. Knowledge that is acquired but unutilized is the equivalent of ignorance. So if you can hear us right now, you already have an idea of what you should be doing next. Probably. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, that's a pretty good question to step back and say, I want to meditate on this. What could I do next? What would be the courageous decision? If I had no other choice, what would this be? In my book and in the TEDx, I say, if you woke up tomorrow paralyzed from the neck down, what do you wish you would have accomplished with your life? Mm that's a great place to start because that strips away everything else. Now you're not concerned about other people's opinions. Here's the thing. When you're in a bed paralyzed, you realize that the kind of car that you drive, the amount of money that you have in the bank, the clothes that you wear really don't matter. That money will just be a number on a computer screen or a slip of paper. And no matter how large or prolific it may be, it's not enough to buy you more time nor give you back your physicality once you've lost it. And if all those things are true, then what really is important to you? And you don't need a course. You don't need another podcast. You don't need anything to do that. You can stop what you're listening to right now. I hope you keep listening. (laughs) Just take that and breathe on it and take five minutes and do some parachute breathing, whatever it is, and ask yourself those hard questions because you'll find that once you've the answer that we seek is found in the adversity we're currently avoiding right now. Right now, the answer that you seek is found in the adversity that you are trying to not look at. If it's a relationship, have the conversation. In the military, we say, get in the room. When I'm trying to breach that room, I don't care if I fall down. Just get in. Get there. Now we can begin. It's not going to be perfect. It's always going to be sloppy. That's fine. Just get in. Now the conversation is open. Now we've at least acknowledged that there's an elephant in the room, and now we can begin to do the work. But if we do not do that, if we don't have the courage to do that, our own cowardice will snuff out everything that we could possibly do in our lives on this place called mediocrity.
0: Yeah. Speaking about um, getting in the room, um, you, you talk about, you know, being the smartest person in the room. If you're the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. Right. (laughs) Which I, which I love. And then, uh, you know, we've done episodes on the growth mindset and the beginner's mindset. And in the book, you, you call it kind of the white belt mentality and the importance of the white belt mentality. Uh, can you, can you kind of unpack that for our audience and explain what you mean by that and why it's so important?
2: Yeah, it's, it's so powerful. I've done martial arts my entire life. I've had the, the privilege of learning from some phenomenal martial artists, um, guru Dana Nosanto is Bruce Lee's protege, and I'm an instructor under him. So learning from him, seeing him live these ethos in his mind. And that man has literally learned more about martial arts and forgotten than I will (laughs) ever learn in my lifetime. Right? Like he is incredible. And he has zero ego. He's about 85, he's about this tall, and he just wants to learn. Not that he feels that he has to learn how to defend himself, he he can definitely do that. But he wants to see, what does this person have that maybe I don't? What is another way for me to look at that, right? In the martial arts, this is something Guru told me, he says, Marcus, if I teach you a punch, you learn one punch. If I teach you a concept, I teach you a thousand punches. So this is why it's so important to have that white belt mentality. Step back, empty your cup and say, Mm -hmm. listen, I'm going to imagine. And the best way to do that, even if I have all these different black belts and all these different certifications, if I go to a martial art that I've never done before, I can take my, my ego aside. I can put on a white belt and say, teach me. I don't have to know, there's no responsibility on my part. I don't have to teach. I don't have to help this other person because I don't know the technique any better than they do. Mm -hmm. And I can just learn and -hmm. without any expectation, without any ego, without any fear, without me saying, well, in my system, we do that.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) The martial
2: art joke is this, it says, how many martial artists does it take to screw in a light bulb? Three, one to do it and another one to say, well, in my system, we hold it like this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So there's so much, so much semantics in that, but the idea is to come back and say, "Listen, I just want to learn." And when it comes to mastery, like Robert Greene wrote in his book about those ten thousand hours, if we are honest and we are present, which we're talking about mindfulness. So everything that we do can be a mindfulness practice. To right. going for a walk, taking a shower, brushing your teeth, any of these things can be mindful if we employ mindfulness. In that place, we can learn skill sets, and now instead of having to have 10,000 hours, we can have 10,000 iterations, and these ideas will bleed over and they will translate into these other skill sets, and that's why it's so important to be able to go into this idea with a beginner's mind. Uh, Jocko Willink, right? Yeah, he's very much about humility. If you watch talk, if you watch Jocko talking to somebody, he'll put his hand over his mouth. And when I went to his event, um, the Council of Leaders, a few months ago. He does this to remind himself physically to shut up. Yeah, <laughs> for real. And now he's not trying to fix this person. He's not trying to judge what's right. going on. Yeah. He's trying to do it right now. And he tries to listen to what's going on. That's how we learn. So if you can have that humility, you can learn. As leaders, a lot of times there's this idea that we have to know all the answers. No, we have to find the right people around us that can come up with ideas for us, for us to make the decision on what the best answer may be, and lots of times we're asking them, "What do you think? Where am I doing this wrong? If my yeah. company fails in two years, what happened, and how can we get in front of it now?" Because it usually takes two years for whatever blindnesses that we have to flesh out in the real world. These are the kind of questions that you have to ask. Yeah. Peter Thiel, right? How do I get my year, How do I get to my ten year goals in six months? Again, it doesn't come from learning a bunch more stuff. It's about actually applying what I know being honest about the results, and then saying, right. okay, if I'm humble enough to realize that I'm beating my head against the wall, this isn't working, but what else can I do? Step back, take a breath, look around, make a call. Right, John? That's mm-hmm. what we have to do. And that's where it's it's very hard, especially if there's a lot of like hustle stuff that you're seeing all the time to, to grind, grind, grind. It's like the idea is if I listen to these people, the answer is more, but anything in excess eventually becomes its opposite. Yeah. So as leaders, as people, as entrepreneurs, we have to say, what would happen if I could only subtract to answer this? And most of the time, that's what we need. We don't need another quarter of a million dollars for the credit. We don't need an additional CFO. We just need to be able to apply the right questions at the right time and be humble enough with a white boat mentality to say, I don't know, let's find out together. Yeah. Well you, you, I you, I got go one more yeah. man. I I, I no, don't no, mean to no. dominate this but, but oh, uh, No you yeah. good. Let's go. We got time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: um thank you. In the in the book uh well you touched on something there about making a call, right? Making a call. And in the book you talk about I forget whether it was your command sergeant major first sergeant, you talk about the him saying, you know, Marcus what's what's the th- one thing that gets more people killed on the battlefield than anything.
2: Oh,
0: yeah. And and you talk about that uh, and I, I'm not going to r- ruin the punchline here. I'm going to turn it over to you to talk about that and why it is so important to do the opposite of that.
2: Yeah. I'm my squad leader and that man had seen a lot of combat and even like high ranking officers would default to him with a lot of these things. And it's like, yeah, there's only a way that you get that kind of respect. And that's from, being in it and experiencing a lot. So we're doing a shoot house, 24 hours shoot house, live ammunition, and a shoot house is where you're actually clearing rooms, and of course you have targets because you're using live ammo, but within that time you're going to have sleep deprivation. You're going to have a little bit of food, a little bit of water, so it's about just going through it over and over and over again. And they change the, the room every time. And if you flag somebody with an automatic weapon, you only have to take your mind off of the the focus of this moment once another other men die so this understanding that we have to be very intentional about what we're doing is key but there was one group that hit the door and then they hesitated and we call the door the fatal funnel and they were all yeah. stacked up and all it takes is one person with a grenade or a, an ak-47 they can just sit on one edge of a wall and just kind of shoot in this direction and the most highly trained men in the world will die because one man hesitated so yeah. Sergeant Reed pulled us to the side and he was like, AJ, and he called me um, Anderson because I'm Anderson in and the Joe because I was his number one Joe. He's like, AJ, you know what kills more men? You know what kills more men in combat than hesitation? Oh, sorry, I blew it. What, call, what kills more men in combat than bullets or IEDs is hesitation because he's yeah. lighting his Zippo that he's gone to combat with a thousand times and you can smell the camel <laughs> smoke coming. And he was like, I would rather you be wrong in real time and 100% committed Mm-hmm. And then pivot in the heat of battle, then wait. Because mm-hmm. if you're waiting, the hesitation, again, it kills everything. It kills intention. It kills momentum. It kills the element of surprise, all these things. And right mm-hmm. now, people believe, again, in 2020, people had this idea that hesitation makes me safe. It doesn't. It makes you sit no. Yeah. Actually going out and taking action is more important because even in that action, you have the ability to pivot. You have the ability to change. But if I'm not in motion yet, yeah. I can't change. I can't see targets of opportunity. I can't move. So when we talk about Octa verba there's so many people that build a business plan or they have this, this fitness idea, or they have this plan that they want to do with their family and they are afraid to take the first step because they're afraid of failing. Right. Listen people, if you don't go out and take the first step, this plan even has legs to begin with. You have to go out there, you have to try it. And then when you get a different look, you go, Oh, that's not what I should be doing. Fine. Pivot. Now move in that direction without hesitation. Hmm. Because if you're waiting, that hesitation, and what does it do? If we're leading, what do we do now? We're telling everybody else around us, Hey, wait, hesitate. Mm-hmm. That's not what we need. Violence loves speed and adversity loves hesitation. So don't get caught in those.
1: Yeah. Well, that's you uh, yeah. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes um, from, Einstein, because nothing happens until something changes, right? Or, or until something moves. I don't know exactly. That, that I'm pretty sure one of those is the exact quote. Um, or even like, you know, what I've learned being here in the city, I, I, you know, when I do drive in the city, I have to be proactive. I have Ooh. to be like, be aggressive, like in, in, but also be smart, not like aggressive and stupid and like running into people, but really taking my environment, being fully present, Um And, and just not hesitating because if I hesitate, I'm going to get rear ended or someone's going to hit me. And, uh, you know, and it's just, and and I think it's when you said, you know, if you don't, if you do move, you just continually create opportunity. You know, obviously you want to be smart and focused in your actions when you're pursuing your goals and and living more of your life and be more strategic what your actions are because they're going to create opportunities. But if you are just sitting on the fence, you know, being a spectator in the arena instead of you touched on earlier about how incredibly important it is to show up. You have to show up. And in, in, in that, when you put yourself in that situation and uh, that circumstance or in that opportunity, just by being there, um, who knows what can happen. But also, you know, let's just go back to um, that white belt and the beginner's mindset. You kind of touched on some of those characteristics like humility uh, being one of them, being, being the student and, and being that white belt and, and being in the beginner's mind. What are some other, um, you know, for, I'm just speaking to this or asking this question. So, cause I feel like I know there's a lot of men that I know that never want to admit that they're wrong. always want to seem like, you know, that they know everything that's going to happen or, um, whereas like taking, you know, eating or taking that pill of humility, and, and stepping into the beginner's mindset and being the student instead of like trying to continually, you know, be whatever kind of person and not the student, um, you really miss out on so many different potential opportunities to learn and, and to gain more skills and then take a a more proactive step forward. So what are some of the other characteristics for that, that you would describe or attribute to that, that beginner's mindset and that white belt? Um, Yes,
2: self-mastery is everything, trying to be aware of that, so self-mastery means we're in charge of our emotions. In the book I say emotions assassinate the truth, right? And we have to have the capacity to recognize that. And here's a good question for that, because this will unpack everything, and you have to be really honest with yourself when you ask this question. So you're experiencing something, whether it be cognitive dissonance, whether it be your ego being bruised, being told that you're wrong, being told that this is not the right idea, not getting what you think should happen. Step back and take a deep breath and ask yourself, where is the physical evidence that this is physically harming me? Nowhere. There normally is not. We may feel tightness in our chest from the breathing. We may feel a lot of like internal dialogue that's going on, but there, there is no actual threat to that. And if there's no physical threat to us, then we can understand it's my ego that's taken the bump on this. Right. I got I got
0: to take that in. Let's see if we lost Will there for a second. I got to take that in, uh, you know, every time that um, I'm, I'm with my kids and mm-hmm. maybe they do something and that uh, they they cause me some anxiety, which causes me the emotions. I, I kind of fly yeah. off the handle. And the the truth that I am assassinating through that emotion is that I'm not in any danger. You know, uh, and you know, there's, there's no reason to be raising my voice at my kids for, I don't know, spilling a a glass of milk or whatever. Um, so it's, uh, the, I love the, the emotions assassinate the truth and we got Will back here. Uh, so yeah, um. (laughs) Somebody commented in the comments here, Will has fallen off his chair.
2: (laughs) That's a powerful (laughs) statement, Marcus. You knocked him out of his chair, so well done. Assassinated him.
0: (laughs) Uh, But I'll touch on, uh, you know, talking about uh, assassinating the truth um, and some of the the other emotions that we feel. Something that is for, uh, I I think, men particularly – having compassion and more importantly or more rather more specifically self-compassion, how important that is. Um, Can you talk about how important self-compassion is um, for overcoming adversity and then not only overcoming the adversity, but taking that adversity and turning it into a gift?
2: Absolutely. So the internal dialogue is everything and we have to be aware of, the consequences of it. And lots of times we are focused on us. We are focused on me, me, me. It's about me. It's on me. What do you think of me enough about me? What do you think of me? This is the idea that we have in society, but we have to understand also that the way that we talk to ourselves in our internal dialogue, eventually we will speak to others that are very close to us in the same capacity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I am, constantly kicking myself in the ass and calling myself all these names and I'm in that elevated state and I haven't had a lot of sleep and I haven't had a lot of good food and I'm stressed out and then something happens and I lash out at somebody close to me Mm -hmm. with that dialogue. If somebody else talked to that person that I love in that same manner, it would not be pretty. (laughs) 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 But yet who is it? It's me. And who controls that? Me, 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 that white belt idea. That's where we have to come to it. From that place, we can actually understand now that even if you don't want to change the internal dialogue because you want to grind or kick myself in the ass of what I have to do and if I'm not doing this and I'm failing, that's okay. You can go ahead and believe the lie if you would like, but understand that it will eventually get to people around you. And if that's the case and you don't want those people to have to bear the burden of the fact that you don't have the guts to face your own adversity, then you will actually have a more altruistic view and say, you know what? I don't want my daughter to have to hear me say something like this. And if that's the case, then I will do the work and step back and say, what is this adversity shining a light on? Where's the chink in my armor? Hmm. And why the hell am I afraid to look at it? All right. What is the harm in me taking a look at what this is? And then more importantly, what is the long-term effect of me continuing down this same cycle of insanity, of mediocrity, having the audacity to be surprised when I don't get something different? It's the mm. definition of insanity, we, we all know that. All right. So understanding that adversity, I, I say in the TEDx talk, adversity hates you, but it only hates a certain part of you. <laughs> what part of you? The weak part. Mm. It's trying to show you where you're weak, it's trying to show you where you need to build this relationship, where you need to have humility, where you need to have more responsibility financially, where you need to take more accountability for your physicality, all mm. these things. There are five mm-hmm. cycles five circles i talk about physical mental spiritual emotional meaning how we pour into ourselves and then the financial component mm-hmm. so understanding where the business fits in understanding where we all come together there's a lot of people that i coach that you know they're monsters in the gym but can they translate that to financial discipline can they translate that to calling their mom calling their wife Right. How many CEOs, how many CEOs do we know that are multimillionaires? that can't have a relationship or the relationship with their wife is a stranger. Their kids don't even pay attention to them and their entire life. They were like, I'm doing this for my family. And then when All they right. don't feel like they're getting respect for their family, now what happens? Yeah. Now there is no purpose. And now everything is coming unwound because they don't have the audacity, actually the courage to actually look inside themselves and say, is there a possibility that I'm missing something? What am I doing wrong? And those are the people that need a friend, a coach, somebody that they trust enough that's going to give them the brutal truth. And that that's the hard part because, and there's ways to deliver that truth, okay? What you hear us talking about, you hear us kind of being like, okay, let's go, let's make this happen, violence of action, all these things. But we're talking about doing it from a place of emotion and compassion. Mm-hmm. If I understand how my employee takes this sort of verbiage, I can talk to her. I need to talk to her a certain way. If I'm talking to a, a guy that's like a go-getter and he's ready to go, I just need to say a little bit of stuff and he's going to run through the wall, but I have to have the capacity to sense what they're doing, the respect to pay attention to them enough to understand who they are. And then the ability to actually deliver the message in a way that is conducive to them, to the mission, to the goal.
0: I got to come back to, you know, the, the motivations of so many of these, Highly successful people, and uh, you talk about the CEOs that say, "Hey, I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for, uh, you know, put food on the table." Uh, but it, it always comes into my mind. Um, I don't know if you are a Breaking Bad fan. I know you don't watch a whole lot of TV, but there's a, there's a scene, yeah, in, in Breaking Bad. You know, he's constantly saying, "Hey, he's doing this to to have the money for the family. Doing this for the money for the family." And then in the, like one of the last episodes, he's like, "You know what? I didn't do this for the family. I did this for myself. It's my 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 own ego." And I think that's where so many people get wrapped up in that hustle that we talked about before is they're not doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it for their own ego. They're doing it so that they can show that they have the nice house, the nice car. They can show all this on social media. They're not doing it for the right reasons. I uh, just want to touch on that. No, so, not really a question, uh, but you also talked about the five areas, right? The, the five areas of, that you can improve. And I love the fact that you brought in the book, the five rings. I was talking with a group of guys uh, recently. I'm, I'm rereading the five rings. And I, just it ordered, few, I just ordered few, it.
1: Yeah, I just ordered so it.
0: Good. Yeah. So good. Mm-hmm. Um, but they you know, the, the, the theory of Ikigai. And you talk yes. about that in the book. Um, I didn't really have this in my notes, but you talked about the five areas, if you could touch on what Ikigai is, uh, for our audience and, and how they can use that to
2: overcome adversity or improve themselves. Absolutely. And the book of five rings, I highly recommend it. Um, I actually do a podcast called warrior wisdom on the book of five rings about Musashi and about the five rings. Talk about what happens. And I actually come up to it from a place of as a martial artist, studying weapons, studying swordsmanship. And there's a lot of people that have read the book that take the the general conceptual ideas like we talked about before, having a concept to give them more techniques, but yet they lose a lot of what Musashi's talking about. Musashi had 61 duels to the death, and he won every single one of them. We wouldn't be talking about him right now. Right. So... Jesus. When he's talking about learn this well, like he repeats that phrase over and over again. Hmm. He's not talking about quoting it and put it on social. He's talking about <laughs> do, this, do this sword stroke a thousand times. And when your shoulders are on fire, do it a thousand more times. He's telling you to embrace adversity and then to see if you can push through it. What does it take? How hard was it? What is Was it as bad as you thought it would be? Having said that, the Ikigai is this notion that there are four circles and they all overlap like a Venn diagram. And the idea is we find out what we're good at, Mm -hmm. what the world needs, what the world will pay for, and then what we enjoy. So when I talk about five circles, when I'm talking with somebody, they all overlap in a similar manner. And the overlap of all those areas is who you are as a person. So they can do this weekly. They can do this quarterly. They can do it whenever they need to. I do it with them at least once every six months. And I say, do your five circles. So they look at their physicality and that includes working out, but it also includes their food, fasting, choice of a food, choice of workouts, variations on that. Then we go into the professional, which usually has money involved with that. We go into the relationships, then we go into the spiritual. And I don't care if you're religious. I don't care if, if you just believe that there's some sort of universal law, whatever it is, there's something in that, that you can tap into. And then the last thing is your own edification, your own teaching of yourself learning so what i do is i have them get themselves a score of one to ten in each of these five circles and then say no bullshit, which what do we need to work on and then we apply four principles i talk about in the book the three ones that we apply with that specifically are the 80 20 principle right pareto's principle and then parkinson's law parkinson's law says that the amount of time that we have the amount of work that we have will expand to to fill that time. time so right so if we have an hour We'll get it, take us an hour to do it. If it should only be a 10 minute conversation, we'll probably make it into an hour because that's the deadline that we put out there. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about it in the book and I say without a deadline, time means nothing, this is how we apply it. So if you take a single circle and we're talking about physicality and we say, okay, I need to work on my me- my presentation of being mindful or I need to work on some sort of physicality in that circle, What am I? how am I on a scale of one to 10 right now? I'm about a four, okay. No bullshit. What is the 80-20? What is one thing I can do right now to help me get the most bang for my buck? Uh, I could probably do five minutes of, of breathing like what you guys are talking about. Talking about what we talked about at the beginning of this conversation. That would be a great place to start. And then having a deadline. When can I start? Can I do it right now? No. When can I do it? I'm done with this appointment at this time. Good. Put it in your calendar. Make it happen now. So once you've done that, you've done the other things, and then we just try to apply Occam's razor. Make it simple. Execution is what we have to have in complexity, complexity is the enemy of execution. So we have to have those things. And people can do that on a piece of paper right now. They can go through and look at those things and now they apply it. And in the book on the audible version at the very end, I actually talk about those things. We take a sphere, we, we look at it honestly. And the great thing about it, I even have CEOs that they're very, um, some of them are very meticulous. They'll even like do a sheet that like shows them the graph. So they do it like once every two months and then they go, hey, look at all these things. And what this does is this allows us, what do we talk about? Detachment, right? You know, step back. If I put it on a piece of paper and start writing it out, now it's not about me. I'm detached and I'm writing about this thing. There's the five circles. Okay, here's the physicality. Scale of one to 10. Mm -hmm. I'm about a four. Okay, what can I do right now? Mm -hmm. What's sustainable? What am I likely to do? Where can I apply discipline here? Where can I apply this understanding of my own internal dialogue? Yep. How will this affect my family? Where is the adversity in this? And is it even real? And why am I waiting so long? Why am I allowing hesitation to kill the intention behind this
1: thing? And by taking that time too, you're opening the back door for the news to come in. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh wait, I never had that thought before, but because I stepped back, detached, did this like objective self-reflection, all of a sudden, boom, like something opens up that I didn't even know was even possible. And it may not even happen
2: then it may happen later on on a walk exactly. or on a run or in the shower when you're getting out and you just have that moment of epiphany yep. so when we meditate very few times do we have but, like breakthrough but it yep. gives us bandwidth to have the capacity to have the breakthrough later on yeah yeah yep. If, yep. if if anybody's listened to um history on fire with daniele bellelli incredible incredible guy right and when i interviewed him we were talking about martial arts and he said that in his mind this place of being enlightened doesn't exist. It's a practice. Yeah. So there's days when he does jujitsu and he does incredibly well and he's like, Oh, you know, I'm not doing too bad. He's a black belt. Right. And then the (laughs) next day he goes and he's like, I'm having a hard time doing a simple maneuver against this white belt because he outweighs me by 10 pounds. That shouldn't, that shouldn't be the, the thing. So even he has this white belt mentality. And when we stop, When we take ourselves out of the equation and realize that it's not about us, we're just trying to be present. I just want to absorb this technique. I just want to feel the energy of this person. I want to sense the intention that gives us the ability to be not only detached, but now we can find targets of opportunity that we would no longer see normally. Mm. And those are the presentations that we are always looking for. And when it happens, it feels almost seamless. And this is the power of having everything in line, when we were talking about the Ikigai and everything overlapping, if if I say my priority is this and I look at my actions and they are completely diametrically opposed, then clearly something's not lined up. But the more I can try to align things and the more I can strip away things that are unnecessary, now when I move forward, everything dovetails into that. This entire conversation dovetails into what you guys work on all the time. It works into everything that I've read about in the book, what I talk about in podcasts, what I speak on internationally, when I coach people, when I work on groups, when I go to their companies, all these things are the same, but it's the way that we present it. It's the way that we come at it. It's the angle through which we can see it, the lens of the other person. That's what gives us more opportunities. Right. And if I had the white belt mentality, and if I can let go of any kind of um. arrogance and be humble, man, I can see stuff that I, I mean, from the mouths of babes, how many times have kids, John, you were mentioning that about kids, right? Like yeah. they, they, are doing mic drops all day if we're willing to all pay day. attention to it yeah no
1: shit <laughs> Will,
0: it, will's been over at my house and and he he's heard some of the wisdom bombs
1: that my kids drop i mean it's, yeah. it's incredible so yeah well they're not <laughs> attached right they're not attached they're, they're right. just like one to them they're so incredible i mean they're little buddhas right they're just so incredibly <laughs> present you know and, and they're just in the moment and but they're but they also have such a an attachment to their feelings and they're so raw and it's just like, they just come out with just absolute brilliance, <laughs> you know, from, from, from again, from, from the white belt, they're like the ultimate white belt, but they also they ma- the ultimate master at the same time. Um, Absolutely. uh, so Marcus, what, uh, so writing this book, like what were some of the adversity that you were experiencing and how long did it take you? We'll say that, uh, or ask, uh, answer that question, please. And then how long, or what was the adversity that you, or in some of the adversity maybe you continually uh, began to continually experience as you're writing the book and then what were some of the things you did to overcome them I think would be very helpful for people to understand what it's like this is a, it's a it, the book is so well done and so well re- you can just I can I can feel so much of the experience that you had in your own life but also the wisdom that you gained but not ignorance right the wisdom you gained from reading uh other authors and and other sages and mm-hmm. And then, and then, and then put them, then put into your life, and then fucking wrote the book. So, what was some of the adversity that you kept uh, coming up against as you're writing this book? So it took me an hour and a half, an hour and a half, a year and a half to write. An hour and a half, wow! wow. Complete flow state. It was, put an hour and a half. Edited, it. was amazing. <laughs> I don't know why people have a hard time. Chat GPT.
2: Yeah, exactly. So it took me a year and a half to do it, and um, when I was injured, I went back to the beginning. I got out, I was 40 pounds overweight, lost a bunch of muscle mass, but I'm finally able to take care of myself. And I'm like, that was my big adversity, like getting over it was tough. But then what the hell do I do with my life now? I'm like 40, almost 42 at that point. I can't go back to chiropractic school because I still have neuropathy in my hands and my feet. I really don't want to go back to any of the other things I was doing. So what does this look like? And so I went back to the beginning, which was martial arts and philosophy, um, I have a buddy that was a martial arts instructor at a school at the time. I was certified already. Obviously he's like, come down, teach a class Tuesday. I was like, well, I don't know what i and he's like, I don't care figure it out. And that's what I needed was that deadline to make me start looking in this direction. And within that path, you learn a lot. I got private students from that. Um, a few of them actually became my first coaching clients because they were saying, I'm getting more information. That's functional in my business from you right now in this lesson about the blade than I am about these other executive coaches that we have. And I was like, sure, just write me a check. And then when they wrote me a check, I was like, wow, okay. (laughs) One of them had a buddy that was having a speaking event and I didn't understand how speaking worked. They're like, can you come down and tell your story? I'm like, sure. I get there, there's 200 people, there's a stage, there's like a live mic and there's like lights. I'm like, what the hell's going on? You know, who's speaking? They're like, you are dumbass. I was like, okay, (laughs) go up. But all I'm doing is telling my story. Right, I yes. and I haven't done the TEDx, I haven't written the book yet, but I did two or three of those. And eventually, there's you're doing Q and A, and there's a woman that's pacing at the back of the room, older woman, and she wants to talk to me. And everybody's left, and she's like, "I want to buy your book." It's like, "Thank you so much, ma'am. I don't have a book." And she just like reads me the mm-hmm. riot act about how irresponsible it is to have the sort <laughs> of story, the sort of experience. I'd love it. And what it was is, so her granddaughter was going through a divorce, right? Going through genuine adversity, and what I talked about very much resonated with her, and she said, "If you had a book, I could give this to her. It could be a blueprint for her to overcome this." Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, "I don't want to write a book. This is going to be so hard." And again, the people that I read—like I try to read the best—against Stephen Princefield and Robert Greene were the people that inspire me the most.
1: Mm-hmm. And to
2: see what they write, it's like a magnum opus. Yeah. <laughs> so you start writing. So I just wrote down 78 like things that came to mind. And I was like, there's no way I can write all that. So I tried to condense it down and then try to find categories for each other the bucket for this, bucket for that, bucket for that. Oh, there's a story that reinforces that. So Will, thank you so much for the compliment about writing because what I see now and I'm not, I think Robert Greene kind of created this and I think Stephen Pressfield created this as well. These are men that lived a, an incredible amount of life and they've done a lot of research and then when Robert Greene talks about the importance of these things and then says, Machiavelli said this in the Prince, like these are things that people need. Mm -hmm. But what I found so often is it's very easy for anybody to regurgitate wisdom from somebody else, especially when that person's already digested it for hundreds of years and they've written it down. And now we have like this, this sage text. But for me, it was like, why don't people write from their own experience? And I'm not saying that you have to have all these experiences. And I've heard somebody I think Ryan Holiday was talking to an author and he said, if that, if that story wasn't about you, would you have used this as an example, but everything that I'm doing, I'm just telling my story. So it just made sense. And I got in my own head for a while. And I was like, maybe I should research this, I should research this and I can do all these things and make these. And I was like, I just need to get this thing done because mm-hmm. once you start writing on something, there is like this ticking time limit of how much attention we can give it. Because I wanted to make it, as I told you, I want to just bleed on the page. And make it as honest and real as I can. And if it resonates, great. And if it doesn't, at least I have this done. And that's what I tried to do. And then you go back and you revise. And then you go back and it's difficult. And then you go back and you write for 10 pages and it all looks like shit. But there's one paragraph that's gold. And then you pull that a lot. out. You go. Yeah. And you pull that out yeah. and you go, okay, thank you. And you you pull that out and you're like, okay, I'm gonna work on that. And then what? You go for a run, you meditate on it. There you go. And I'm still teaching martial arts 60 hours a week at that time, too. So I'm having to get up early, get it in. And then there's times when I come back and it's like, I'm not in my best state, but I have to click it in now and see what I can do Mm -hmm. and just continually show up. Show up. Mm -hmm. I I use that analogy. Lao Tzu, the the Taoist, he says, you don't build a wall, you lay one one brick perfectly. As best as you possibly can with the best brick and the best attention to detail and the best mastership of what you're doing and then you try to do it again and that's all i try to do is just lay a brick perfectly as much as i could as a matter of fact the adversity that i face now is that now that i've gotten like that much notoriety or attention from people my second book i've actually gotten in my own head a lot and i'm like you know people seem to like this or because i've i've taught about this stuff for years now right so i'm trying to give people these are the things i'm always asked when i go to a, a keynote or when i speak at a company or when i'm teaching them to go through things so i, I want to make sure i put that in there but then i've already told my story so how much of my story do i leave how much do i put in how mother how many other parts do i put in there and now i'm to the point where i'm like i'm just going to get it out there the same way so i'm trying to wind it down now give it the most condensed stuff that I possibly can. I can give it to somebody and they can apply it. And if it's, I, you know, I hope it's as good as this book. I hope it's a perfect companion to this book. And if it, again, if it makes the kind of impact that it has on you two gentlemen, then I, my, my work has been done. There you go. Yeah,
0: and, and it's going to have tremendous impact on our audience. You know, I'm sure that, you know, numerous members of our audience are going to go out and get your book. And again, The Gift of Adversity by Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Um, and I want to give you an opportunity here, Marcus, uh, for you to let the listeners know how to find you, um, you know, social media, your website, whatever else may be there. And then I'm going to turn it over to you to take over the closing practice, Beautiful. if you would, awesome. kind of bring yeah. it, bring it home. And, uh, yeah, I'll turn,
2: turn it over to you for that. I love that. So thank you so much for the opportunity and for it's, it's been an honor to, to teach and your audience and learn from you gentlemen. And I have the utmost respect for you. I'm to a point now where I'm not on a podcast or involved with the people at all, unless I want to really support them and be a part of what they're doing. So thank you. uh, The gift of adversity, you can find it on audible. You can find it on Amazon. Um, my TEDx talk is called The Gift of Adversity, and it's free. You can find it on YouTube. You can go to Aureliusanderson.com to learn all these things and more. Follow me on LinkedIn, please. If you follow me on Instagram, um, Twitter, all the things. My podcast is called Octa Verba. It's a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. And John was good enough to be a, a guest on there as well. And the goal is to get people to begin to take action because that's where you learn what's really true, what you're really about, and how you can get there. But I cannot give that to you. I cannot tell you what your favorite beverage is, only you know that, and that comes from experience. I can influence you, but you have to be the one that actually picks up the cup and does it. So for the the presence that I wanna give you, I wanna go through um, some parachute breathing first to go from sympathetic to parasympathetic, and then, I want you to close your eyes and then listen to my voice. And I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions and then we'll close it out. So for parachute breathing, it's a quick inhalation through the nose. And now an extended exhalation through my mouth. So it's like. So I want us to do it together. And we're going to do it three times. Because that's enough to ship us from parasympathetic from sympathetic to parasympathetic. And this is a pretty good grounding maneuver. You can even do this if you're on a Zoom call, you can hit stop zoom, <laughs> step back, hit, hit, hit pause or hit mute and breathe. If you have to step out to go to the restroom or get a breath of fresh air, you can do this then too. So this will serve you right now if you if you need it. So if you listen to everything else and you got nothing else, you gotta apply <laughs> that. <technical laughs> <up, why not? laughs> So we're all gonna be relaxed, deep breath, I mean, uh, eyes closed, and then we're gonna do the inhalation. So we'll inhale, ready. And now exhale, extended. Deep inhalation. Extended exhalation. Last time, quick inhale, deep extended exhalation. Now just keep your eyes closed and return back to nasal breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth at whatever cadence you feel is appropriate. Take a deep breath, listen to my voice and understand. Ask yourself right now, What is an adversity that you are currently facing? Be very honest. You get out of this exercise what you put into it. So ask yourself right now, what is an adversity that you are currently facing? Take a deep breath. The next question is, in what way have you been complicit in allowing that to continue? Keep breathing, finally. After reflecting on the adversity you're facing, how you've been complicit in allowing it to continue, continue, now you ask yourself, what is one step that I can take right now to stop this from continuing in my life? Keep breathing. This is something that I have people do whenever they brush their teeth at night to close out their day. They can reflect on this. This is a premeditation on adversity, if you will. And this helps you be very honest about what it is and ask yourself one more thing. In the grand scheme of things, if there was a scale of one to 10 that I'm placing this adversity on, 10 being the most difficult thing I've ever encountered in my life and zero being heaven on earth, no bullshit. Where does this adversity plot? And once you step back and look at it, you realize that it's not as big as you thought it was and that you're much more powerful than you ever believed. One more deep breath. Deep exhalation. And there we go. Come back to your presence.
0: Brother, uh, thank you for that. That was fantastic. Uh, again, just as much as I needed the book and everything that you have in the book, I needed that particular that message right there. So thank you for that. Um, it's been such an honor being with you today. Thank you for honoring us and coming on our show and yeah. I'll, I'll turn it over to Will to, to wrap it up.
1: Yeah. Just a big thank you, Marcus. And, and anyone, everyone listening out there, I really highly recommend, in case I didn't say it enough times already, uh, to get this book. <laughs> or, I mean, I, I'm going to, I, I kind of like having the, the double whammy of you, Mark, Marcus, like, uh, you know the audible that I can listen to while, while I'm driving, walking, trans, you know, um, you know, transporting myself wherever I need to go, or even at the gym. Um, but then also reading the book and kind of like absorbing more of this, but also using the book as a way to like get to that objective place we talked about. You know, get to you know allow the muse to come in. By Marcus has a lot of great questions, just like he had those uh, few questions at the end of the podcast. So. This is just a, a fantastic tool for anyone's transformation. Anybody get off being a spectator, being surrounded by your mediocrity and all the people that keep you in that place um, to take a step in the arena and start with just little small changes. And it's amazing how they can you know, stack up and you can find yourself a little happier um, by living more of your purpose. And by doing so, you start changing yourself and you start changing the world, just like we started, We how we opened with... Uh, Marcus's bio. So, thank you, Marcus. So, such a pleasure um, to have you here and sharing your wisdom with, with us and our audience today. And uh, um, we'll get a chance to speak with you again. I look forward to it. Thank Absolutely. You. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Till next time. Thanks. Peace,
2: everyone. Thanks, guys. Peace. Peace. Joining us today, we hope you walk away with some new tools and insights to guide you
0: on your life journey. New episodes are being published every week. So please join us again for some meaningful discussion. For more information, please check out mentalkingmindfulness.com.